But I want you to think about that. It's a world of laughter. It's a world of tears. It's a world of hopes and a world of fears. And we all share them together. And the world is a small world when you begin to cross over the boundaries to other people that you don't normally have contact with. The world has a lot of divisions. It has a lot of walls. It has political walls, whether you're left or right. It has ethnic walls. It has cultural walls. It has racial walls. It has the walls set up by how much you make and where you live. But in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there are no walls. None. The footing at the cross is all level and we're all at the same place. And when we reach out to folks that normally we wouldn't reach out to or love, that's the spirit and life of Jesus Christ crossing over our prejudices, crossing over the boundaries of who we will minister to. I say that because in John chapter 4, John chapter 4, Jesus is going to address a woman who was a Samaritan. And the shock of his encounter with him, you need to understand that this man, in its culture and time, should have never even been talking to this woman. Number one, women in this culture were not addressed out in public by any respectable Jewish man. If, if, especially if he was a rabbi. Also, within the land of Israel, there was a division at this time. I need to tell you the history briefly to get you up to speed of this particular racial hatred. I'll give you the highlights. I won't give you the details. Uh, behind me, if you're on that side of the auditorium, you can see a map. And basically, you have Galilee in the north and Judea in the south. Now, years ago, probably seven, eight hundred years before Christ came, uh, there was a division within Israel where ten tribes divided from the two in the south. Two tribes of Israel split off after the death of Solomon and the ten tribes went to the north. And there was for a time a division within Israel itself. Assyria came down from the north and took out the ten tribes from the north. And in the taking out of the ten tribes, those ten tribes were assimilated into cultures, gone. They're what Israel calls the ten lost tribes. Well, those who came down to conquer, namely the Assyrians, had a habit of misplay or, or taking people from other conquered nations and repopulating the land. Now, there were a few Jews left in the northern kingdom when Assyria came and took them out. 
And when they repopulated four or five different people groups in that northern kingdom, the Jews that were left there began to intermarry with those other nationalities. You understand? This was a fatal sin and error to a pure Orthodox Jew. Because Jews married Jews. Now there's a reason that went on. It went on because the Messiah was going to come through the Jewish line. And so they were to keep their line racially pure in order to bring forth the Messiah from the Jewish nation. But they took it to an extreme of prejudice. And when those remaining Jews intermarried with other nations, they became half-breeds, if you will, to the two tribes left in the south. Now years later, a few years later, Nebuchadnezzar came down from Babylon and took out the other two tribes. But they did not assimilate into the cultures. Those two tribes of Israel stayed racially pure, refusing to intermarry. And years later, when they were allowed by another Babylonian king or or really a different monarch to come back down into Jerusalem, they came down pretty much intact as a Jewish racially pure nation, two tribes. Now, the first thing they set to do was to build, rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. You can read about it in Nehemiah or in Ezra. At that time, the Samaritans, is what they became to be called, came down to offer help in order to build the temple. Sanballat was part of that entourage coming down from these half-breeds. When they offered to help build the temple, the Jews that had been come back down from Babylon said, no thank you, you're not good enough to help us build the temple. You're not pure Jews, we really want nothing to do with you. Do you understand the beginning of this problem? So they go back and they form a different temple that they built. They built a different temple on Mount Gehazi, and um, it was a rival temple. That'll come to play within this story that we're going to read. But this hatred between the Samaritans and the Jews began to grow. There was conflict in the building of the wall around Jerusalem that these Samaritans brought attacks against the Jews. And to make matters all the worse, about a a little less than 200 years before Jesus comes on the scene, you have a Maccabean leader, warrior, who comes and destroys the temple that they built in Mount Gehazi. Destroyed their temple. The anger and hatred between these people were fierce. You'll notice in the middle of that country is Samaria. An average Jew would not go through Samaria to get to Galilee. They would go Transjordan to the right, or they would hug the coast to avoid the middle of the country. The the straightest shot is right up through Samaria. But they went away out of their ways, went into into Gentile territory in order to avoid this people group. Everybody got the thing set. Everybody in their mind, you understand the hatred that one people group can have for another people group. 
I'm so glad that we live in a world that doesn't happen anymore. That black folks love white folks and white folks love brown folks and Orientals love American Indians and you can go on and on and on. Why are we why is that part of human nature? Well, it's because of sin. It's because of fear. It's the fear of not understanding someone who's different than you. Prejudice means to prejudge someone. But all of our skins bleed red when we are cut, are they not? And all the world laughs, and all the world cries. And no matter what skin we're wrapped in, or what ethnic background we're from, we are all human beings who have the same fears and the same hopes and we are all the same, are we not underneath? Now we have differences, absolutely. Praise the Lord for the differences. I'm excited when I read Revelation when it talks about all the nations coming in to Jerusalem to worship the Lord during the millennial that they bring the glory of their own particular nation in worship. Their style, if you will. Look at Jesus as he comes upon the scene in chapter 4 of the Gospel of John. Now, therefore, the Lord, when the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, notice Jesus left Judea and departed again into Galilee. I'll just touch this and go, okay? In the ministry of Jesus, as his disciples were baptizing in the Jordan, he began to draw bigger crowds than John. And in John's disciples, there might have been some envy. And Jesus would have none of that, and he would have none of the Pharisees taking advantage of two Christian ministries fighting with each other. Good lesson to be learned today, is it not? One of the most embarrassing things to the church is when ministries fuss and fight with one another or there's problems. The lost love to take advantage of that. And Jesus takes off and goes north up in, and leaves Judea and goes up to Galilee. Now, he doesn't take the long road. He takes the straight shot. Verse 4. And he must needs go through Samaria. Why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? Because he had, a, he had a meeting. He had an engagement. And that engagement was with someone who didn't have any idea what was going on. To her, it was just another ordinary day, but not to Jesus. To Jesus, from all eternity past, he had this meeting in mind. Do you know, if you know Jesus today, he met you at a, at a place. He engaged you. And he had that meeting set long before you ever drew breath. Jesus was going through Samaria because he had a woman to meet and he wanted to talk to her. I'm impressed that a gospel that emphasizes Jesus being God has so many one-on-one -on -one personal discussions with just one person. Our method today is to draw a big crowd and have a big show of it and have thousands of people walk the aisle. Jesus, just grabbed one person and talk with them. And as a result, an entire town came to Christ. Notice the method of the master. 
We worry about the multitudes. Jesus was concerned with the individuals that he met. And he cares about you and I as individuals. Chapter 4 and verse 5, it says this. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. I'm going to show you some pictures of Jacob's well. What you're looking at in Scripture is about the only place that you can go in all the Holy Land these days and know exactly where this took place. Because last time I checked, they didn't move wells. Okay? A well was a well was a well. This is Jacob's well. Let me give you a couple shots of it. I'll give you a shot that was taken in 2013. There it is. As in most places in Israel, there is a church built over it partially. And so there's Jacob's well. I'll give you a better picture of probably back in the 1920s. That is Mount Gehazi. And I apologize to you over there if you can't see it. Mount Gehazi, off to the left. The parcel of ground is in between those two mountains. This is the parcel of land, and that is the well back in the 1920s. You see it there. And that is the occasion or place where this conversation took place. Look at chapter 4, verse 6. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. I find that fascinating that God got tired. I find that fascinating that Jesus, as a man, fully man, was wearied and tired and sat down. Imagine the creator of all the universe becoming tired on a journey. Now at this time, you're going to find that the disciples went into the town to buy food. So Jesus is alone. Chapter 4 verse 6 says, And Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey sat on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Well, if you count from Roman time, which is what this is, I'm sorry, Jewish time, it was noon. The day started at 6 in the morning. So the sixth hour was 12 noon. It is the time when the sun is the hottest. It is the time where very few people come to the well because this is the hottest part of the day. You stayed in your tents. You stayed in shade. Notice verse 7. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Now, we speculate as to why she came at noon. In the heat of the day, this was about a half a mile walk from town. We speculate and think that because she was the kind of woman that she was, that the other woman didn't want her company, and she didn't want theirs. This was a woman who was promiscuous at best. This was not a fine church woman in a dignified dress. This was a scandalous woman of the town. Do you understand what kind of woman that Jesus is going to look at and talk to? We tell mighty quick our prejudices. We tell mighty quick by whether we talk to people. 
whether we are willing to look at them, whether we are willing to invite them into a discussion, invite them over to eat. We tell mighty quick how we respond. Do you know we respond about 80% through body language? Did you know that? I'll never forget when my sister was brand new saved. She'd just come to Christ. And she was at a Bible study with a group of ladies, maybe 10. And a woman came in that was um, pregnant. And uh, she looked rough. She'd been on drugs. And she stood at the door terrified. Terrified. She wanted to be there, but she was terrified. And my sister watched as all ten of these women sat in their seat not knowing what to do with this woman. Well, my sister was brand new saved. She hadn't got the whole Christian thing where you kind of choose and pick who you, who you love. She jumped up out of her seat and walked across that room and said, we are, I am, we are so glad you are here. And gave her a hug and it ushered her over to a seat. There's more, there's more depth of theology told in that moment than I can preach in a hundred years. Do you know that? Don't we tell it quick? Don't we say it with our eyes? Don't we say it with our body? Yeah. And here's Jesus sitting on a well. He who created all the springs of the earth sits on a dusty stone well in the heat of the day, and he's tired and in walks a scandalous woman. A woman that any respectable Jewish man would have nothing to do with. Nothing. Do you understand the impact and import of what's going on in this setting? Do you understand how we as Christians can put up walls between us and whoever God sends us to minister thinking they can't get saved. They're way off base. Who are we to judge what Jesus can do in somebody else's life? My confidence isn't in anybody changing. My confidence is in the ability of God to redeem and to save the worst of us of which we all qualify. Man, there he sits, the Son of God, God in the flesh, on a well, on a dusty, hot day. You don't get any more real than that, and up walks this woman with a pot in her hand. And she's shocked. Look at what happens. Look at verse 7. There comes a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus says to her, why don't you give me something to drink? Give me some water. Any traveler would have a pouch, a leather pouch to draw from. He had none. Now when it says he was weary. Let me suggest to you, it was not just a physical weariness that he was weary with. He was weary, a man of sorrows in this earth, in this world, seeing the sin, seeing the heartache of this woman. I know that because when they, the disciples show up later and they ask him, you know, he said, I'm not hungry, I have food to eat that you know not of. His great need is to minister to this woman who needed him and she didn't even know it. So he says, give me to drink. Follow the story in verse 8. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. 
Then says the woman of Samaria to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, you ask drink of me? I'm a woman of, don't you know who I am? I'm a woman of Samaria. For the Jews, the King James has rendered to have no dealings with the Samaritans. Literally is, they don't share eating utensils. Literally, it says, they don't share water pots. You know, when you are close to somebody, when you can drink out of what they're drinking. Which probably isn't a good idea anyway, but... They don't, share, they don't share anything. She was shocked to be talked to by this man. Look at verse 10. Jesus probes at her and he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to thee, Give me to drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. I love that. Two kinds of wells were in the land of Israel. There was the cistern that simply caught rainwater and collected groundwater. Not the best water. But then there were wells, and Jacob's well was one of them, that was fed by a spring. It was actually fed by an underground spring. And it got low at certain times of the year, but usually the water you got, it was 100 feet deep. That's how deep that well is now, probably deeper then. Fed by a spring, he said, look, if you knew who it was that's asking you, you wouldn't worry about me, you'd worry about yourself and ask for living waters. Look at verse 11. The woman says to him, sir, I have nothing, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. And I, you know, we're not there, we can't hear the tone that she gave. It's possible she was mocking him. It was possible she was making a little bit of fun of him. When Christ is dealing with a lost soul, he is very patient. Aren't you glad he is? He doesn't write us off. Because how many times have we kind of made fun of Christian doctrine and truth and God's ability to take care of us? God's ability to give us living water. Look at verse 11. You have nothing to draw with. And I'm going to stop there because we're going to pick that up next week at that story. And I want to share with you three things that you need to know. This is an incredible story of evangelism. This is an incredible story of God breaking walls down, of Jesus reaching out to a woman that was scandalously promiscuous. And how he dealt with her is how he deals with us. Listen carefully. Number one, Jesus always shows up first. You can't beat him to the punch. If you're, if you're a Christian here, he showed up to the well before you got there. He was ready to offer to you when you didn't even know you had need. This thing of being saved was not your idea at first. It was his idea to save you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, listen to me very carefully. He waits for you. He, he beats you to the punch. What's going to happen in 2014? 
We don't know. But I know this, whatever happens, he's going to be there first. Nothing catches him off guard. There he is at the well. He shows up first. We chose him, but man, before we chose him, he chose us. He must needs go through Samaria. I love that. Back in the late 70s, I'm yeah, the late 70s when I came to Christ, there I was, a young sailor, going my own way, and he kept interrupting me with these Christian Bible studies. He kept getting me attention. He made life miserable. The rock concerts that I used to, just the acid rock that I used to love, I started hating. The things I used to do that were absolutely non-Christian, I didn't like anymore. And he began to probe and probe and make me miserable and get me off kilter. And he's still doing it. He's the great upsetter of life. He's the great interrupter, if you will. Here's a woman simply going to get some water. He changes her entire life because he shows up first. He cares more for our souls than we care for our own souls. He is the great lover of souls. And he always shows up first. 